Hello, this is F. Christopher Blue, and my co-host Ayesha Calloway, and today's topic is Battle of the Sexes. But first, let me jump into a song as we prep our files for today's broadcast. All right, F. Christopher Blue and Ayesha Calloway with today's eclectic perspective, today's topic, Battle of the Sexes. Ms. Calloway. What's going on, Blue? Loving life, living, loving yourself. I'm good. I'm good. So, what you want to start off with? All right, man. We got you know we had an interesting discussion forum yesterday at the Aloft Hotel located in North Charleston, South Carolina. I'd like to thank the guests that came out to visit us and those that they were there in spirit, because you know one of my close friends she also had an event, which um you know what I'm saying coincided with our event. So I'm not mad at the people that was unable to attend. But definitely thank you for keeping us in your prayers and leaving comments on our discussion board on the Collective Perspectives and our event page. Um, so let's just get right into it. There were some questions that were not addressed, and there were some that needs further attention. I'll go into the first question, which should have been addressed last night but wasn't, but definitely is an issue. Um, here we go. What, if any excuse, is there for cheating? Aisha. I don't think there is an excuse for cheating. I know um, one young lady at the forum last night talked about if your mate is not giving it to you right, then that's an excuse for cheating. I disagree with that. I don't think there's ever a reason to cheat. I think if you're not satisfied, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, that you need to discontinue that relationship. However, I do understand that cheating does occur. Sometimes it's not planned. But I think majority of the cheating that occurs today is, is definitely planned. I agree with you, Ms. Callaway, just in regards to um, even though there may be an underlying reasoning, if you get to the point where you have to cheat, definitely. Communication needs to come into play, and you need to communicate your needs, your wants, and then move on, and then um, move on from there. But they just say, oh, I'm going to stay in a relationship or stay in a situation and still cheat. Hey, that's just not righteous, you know what I'm saying? I think that, you know, you, you not only hurt yourself or hurt that relationship, you hurt the other person, and then, like we talked about in other um, issues and other um, other um, discussions, is that there's a fallout, there's a trickle effect. Other people are hurt by such interactions or such um, indiscretions, such as friends, family, um, networks, and associates, and things like that. All right, next question. All right, let me see what we got. Um, a question that we did not address last night is: Is flirting like having sex? If so, what will be considered? I'm not sure I'm understanding what this person wrote. Let me read it again. Make sure it's not me. Is flirting like having sex? If so, what will it be considered? And will flirting lead to other things? I think that question is um, not clear and concise for me because flirting how? I mean, we're talking about flirting via Internet or face-to-face on the job. I mean, so it varies, and I think all of it could lead to other things. But um, I'm a big flirt. I flirt all the time. It's just in my nature. And for me, it hasn't led to anything. However, for somebody else, it could be totally different. What are you thinking, Blue? Does flirting always have to lead to sex? I think flirting is sometimes indebted in that person's personality type. That's how they communicate. That's how they relate to others. For me, myself, I'm... I flirt, but I don't necessarily have an end goal for flirting. Um, I flirt with the waitress at a table at a restaurant. 
And what does that lead to? Hey, I get more attention. My tea is coming on time. Um, I'm getting um, my food is coming to me on time. I'm getting the extra napkins. I'm getting the special attention. Why? Because what people determine as flirting may just be um, their genuine communication style and talking. You know what I'm saying? Now we talking about ooh, you got a nice this or nice that. Eh, maybe not so much. That might be a flirting with an indication of doing something else. But I think in most cases, or in a lot of cases. Flirting is just a communication style in which we're talking to or relating to one another. But all right. Let's move on to the next question. At almost every point in history and in most cultures, courtship has been a large part of establishing a relationship. It appears that over the past few decades, the importance of courtship has decreased. Do you believe the courting period is necessary? And are there any negative consequences to skipping this step in the relationship process. I wonder, is courtship really dead? Ms. Callaway. I think that it's important if you plan on having a long-term relationship, just because during the courtship is when you get to know the individual, you know, on a personal basis, what they like, dislike, their attitude, their temperament, all of those things. If you jump into, if you jump into dating without the courtship, but, I mean, what do you know about the person? I mean, honestly. So when you do that, things such as cheating occurs, miscommunication on a verbal level, you have issues with spirituality, among other things. So I think it's very important. I think it's needed. Um, I think when people think about courtship, though, they automatically nowadays assume relationships. You know, so courtship comes with a lot. Courtship comes with communicating. It comes with, you know, time spent meeting family and friends, and we just don't do those things anymore, which I think lead us to the path of a lot of broken relationships, so on and so forth. I mean, we could get a, a lot deeper with that question if we decide to bring children into it and, and marriages and things of that nature. What's your perspective? I think courting is a necessary step in having a, a, a long-term promising relationship. Um, when I court, I court with the um, understanding that, you know what I'm saying, I'm invested in you, you're invested in me, this is a way for us, it's like a path, almost like a, a journey for us to get to know each other better in different ways and different ventures. Um, I view courting as a very necessary step that I see often skipped. We, I see courting for, what, maybe two, three, four weeks, boom, you move on to the next stage, versus the, I don't really see a lot of long-term courting. And when I court, I court with the intention of getting to know you better, moving to the next step as we make trans, transitions into talking or girlfriend, boyfriend, or engaging and married. Um, these are transitional periods, necessary transitional periods, instead of us skipping from one point, skipping over another one to the next point. Um, I hear closely to courting. I love courting. I agree with that. I think courting is fun. It's fun. We're going to go ahead to the next question. All right. I'd also like to make a comment about some of the discussion forum that we had last night. Like I said, we had some very interesting perspectives, and I definitely appreciate those that came out in support of the movement that we're moving forward in as regards to collective perspectives and bringing certain communications, certain discussions to the forefront, because through communication we can foster change, and there's definitely change that needs to be made in how we relate to one another as men, women, as family, as society, as friends, and as social networks. Ms. Calloway. 
we're going to go ahead and move on to the next question. Um, in a relationship, excuse me, in a religious or conservative family, when a child comes out as gay or wants to be a member of another religion, do you just want your child to be happy, or is it tra- or is tradition more important? Uh, that sounds like a question that my dear friend probably submitted, um, very enlightened person, and um, I appreciate the question. I believe that, to me, I think we as, as families, we oftentimes adhere too closely to religion, and uh, sometimes that can be to the detriment of those in our family, especially when it's someone that's outside of that religious mind state, such as gay or um, lesbian or just want to be really have a different belief system. Like they might not believe in their connection to God the way you and I believe our connection to God. To me, it's more important to adhere to the healthy nurturing of a child than it is to the religious statutes in which we grow up. Because once we, as we grow, as we become older and as we mature and our minds broaden, we understand that religion, organized religion, is really a, in a way a type of slavery to keep us in line to do what we're supposed to do versus our direct connection to God, which is the true religion, the Callaway. I agree with you on that. I think it's important um, to let your children know, you know, the different religious aspects of life, what's out there, what's available to them. But I also think it's more important to teach them that you're not here to judge them. And a lot of Christians, you know, we always hear them say things such as, you know, you're going to hell for being gay, for doing A, B, C, B, and E. But the truth of the matter is, even if we decide to um, look at it from a religious standpoint, we're all sinners, you know, daily. We're going to sin one way or, or another. And I think the important thing is just for your child to have a relationship with God and for us not to judge them. You know, and so I think that's like we have so much HIV, AIDS going around because I think we're focused on the wrong things. We're focused on so much action versus just take your time to nurture our children and teach them what their options are. And I think that's what a good parent is about. It's not about forcing your child to do anything or making them feel like they don't fit into a certain category. It's more about just giving them those options. And we need to do that more as parents. I agree. Next question or comment. This was the um, basic topic. It's called the rift between his and hers. And this is from a male perspective, another dear friend of mine. As males, we are expected to be so understanding and sympathetic in your issues, but when men need some understanding, you don't feel obliged to reciprocate. Hmm. It's almost as if he's talking to someone specifically. Kelly, your thoughts on this comment? I'm gonna need a little more clarification on that. What do you you mean? The female is not obliging the man's need for? Right, right, right. Remember, this is a male's perspective. As if he's talking to a female. All right. First of all, I think it's hard for men to express their emotional state. So sometimes men are going through things, in my opinion, and we don't even know they need that comfort. So I think. If a man is open and he's telling his woman, mom, sister, whoever it might be, what he needs, like most women do because we're very verbal as women, then maybe we can address that. But a lot of men tend to hold things in, so we just we don't know. So you're saying we don't address it or women in general don't address it or we're not nurturing or caring. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that men do not reveal their true emotion. Well, let's look at that. As males, you know what I'm saying, in society, our mother, our father, um, nine times out of ten, our mother, embedding us that we're supposed to hide our emotions, that we're supposed to protect ourselves. Oh, be a big boy. Don't cry. 
or man up, or you know what I'm saying? Oh, you're you're a little man. You're my little man. Oh, you're the man of the house now that your father's gone. They put so much on them, and they have to wear so many masks to protect themselves from their true emotional output. They're not allowed to cry. They're not allowed to be sad. They're not allowed to to go in the corner and whimper or whatever. They're not allowed to display certain emotions because it's seen as feminine, and they don't want to be viewed as feminine as society has bred on them. We're not allowing boys to be full emotional creatures. We're allowing them to be half emotional creatures, and therefore, as they grow and they mature, they grow into this person that cuts off a certain part of their emotional output in regards to how they deal with their children or deal with their spouse or their significant other. It's a societal norm that's embedded in us pretty much from birth. I agree with everything you're saying, but with you saying that, then I would have to throw that question out because it's not about women not being there for their man. It's more about the way the child or that man was reared, so he's not comfortable with, again, like I said initially, letting his emotions show for whatever the reason may have been. And I don't think so much that mothers say man up um, or you can't cry. I see a lot of fathers, a lot of cousins, you know, a lot of different males in the family. What you crying for, you know? You're too soft. You're too this. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with that point um, that you're making. But I do feel, just for the, for the general question, that it's not that women are not there. It's that men, sometimes they don't even know they're having an emotional um, moment or they're at an emotional point in their lives where they even need support. And when women do try to support them, honestly, a lot of brothers are like, I'm good. I can handle it. So, uh, so as a male child reared in a female household, I know that I was told not to cry. I was told to man up. I know many others like me. So unless you're a male, of course you wouldn't actually be privy <laughs> to that information. Next question, Callaway. Uh, are we moving on? Yes, we're moving on. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to let you have that one. <laughs> but for the record, I don't tell my son that. And I'm a single mother as well. I never tell him he's a man of the house. He's a male in the house, but he will never be a man of this house. And I think it's all right for that brother to cry. You do? I do. We're going to have a conversation off record because I recall <laughs> incidentally that's not true. Well, what's he crying about? We talk after the show. You sure? Uh-huh. I mean, I'm good. I mean, because I remember all the details. i got to be quiet. Oh, okay. I smoke every day. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to let you have that. <laughs> Matter of fact, put that out. You can't smoke that in my house. All right. The next question. <laughs> Why are you lying? <laughs> Am I? Well, how do you approach the subject of children from a previous marriage when the children are way out of line? I can't answer that one. <laughs> Can you read that again? I understand. How do you approach the subject of children from a previous marriage when the children are way out of line? So is the way you're interpreting that question is basically like, the, the person's in a relationship with somebody who has kids from another relationship, and the kids are just acting a donkey? That's what I'm assuming. Oh. I guess it really depends on what your place is in that relationship. Because if you're in a relationship and you all moving forward, I believe you do have some right to communicate how you feel in regards to what you're viewing. If you feel you can't, then you're not exactly where you need to be in that relationship to make that decision or make that um, determination and communication point. That's a whole other issue in the relationship. You know what I'm saying? Side note, this does says um, you are engaged to the parents. So I guess this person is engaged. You're in such a place that you can communicate because you're about to be or transitioning into the role of the step-parent. And I feel a step-parent 
is a parent. I don't think they have a lesser role. They have just as important role as the parent because they have taken on the role of spouse of that father or mother. I agree with everything you're saying, but I want to add to this as well. Um, I'm not sure who put the question in the basket last night, but my thing is, you know, before you decide to get engaged to this man or woman, I'm assuming, I'm hoping that you had a chance to be around the children ample amount of time, you know, to determine whether or not the children have behaviors you even want to deal with. You know, because I do know some single parents, males, females, even married folks, their kids not right. You know, and I know personally, if I was to meet a guy and his kids were off the chain, that just, it wouldn't work for me. It would not work for me by far. So I have to kind of throw that um, question back on the person that's deciding to get married. I mean, it's just, you're making a choice. And I agree with you, um, Blue, but a lot of times when people get married, a lot of mothers are like, you can't spank my child, you can't do this, you can't do that because the mother has been the only person there for so long. So they have their quote-unquote routine of how discipline goes in that household. So, again, I'm going to throw this question back on the person that's um, engaged. I think they need to step aside and, and, and have a talk with themselves. It's not so much the children or the person they engaged to but them. I can dig it. Question? Next question. What happened to the black family when it comes to marriage, family, and child rearing? Your we had a similar question in the discussion forum yesterday, and I didn't get to address it because there was a lot of conversation in regards to it. But I believe that black family hasn't changed that much in generations. People always want to look back to our father and mothers, uh, our grandmothers and our grandfathers. But I find through research and through a lot of interviews I'm having with black families, especially in regards to my book I'm working on, um, that, you know, there's always been a disconnect in what really should have been proper family structure. There's always been those. There's always been times in which black fathers weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing or doing what they're supposed to be doing in one aspect but not in the way that we see a family structure. We cannot even look at the models of the Cosby show and look like, um, oh, that's how it's supposed to be because, honestly, that to me is not a norm, and that's not a norm that we're looking that we should be looking at in regards to moving forward. Yeah, we should normalize in some way as far as relationships. I might even say a 50-50, but a circle, a homeostasis. When one is where one's weak, the other one becomes stronger to pick up that slack, and vice versa. It's almost like a teeter-totter effect. I really don't see a big change in generation in this generation and previous generations. Just like I said, based on research that I've done and conversations that I had with my mother, or conversations that I had with my grandmother, and things they told me about their past and their the way they viewed family or how family looked. Ms. Calloway? Well, I'm going to speak from personal experience. And personally, um, my grandmother somewhat raised me, and I think the difference is my grandfather wasn't really in the home as far as, um, like, during the daytime. My grandmother was the one that said do A, B, C, D, and E, and if we didn't do it, you know, we would get chastised. And the same thing with my mother and father as well. However, you know, the only difference was we knew dad was coming home at some point. So we were less likely to do certain things. I think now with a lot more fathers are just completely absent. They're just not there. They're, they're, they're not coming home at night. So all the child has to depend on is mom. So I think it, there is a difference in the black family and the structure of family and the way we communicate, the way that, you know, um, family as a whole. I think that black families back in the day, and again, from my experience, my parents were there for me if I had something going on at school. Now it's just me, even as a single mother, I can't always be there for both of my children. So in some aspects, they're lacking. They're getting a shorter end of the stick because it's just me. 
You see what I'm saying? So I, I think there is a difference. All right. Well, that's an interesting perspective. Next question or comment. What are some of the characteristics and actions that you need or seek in a husband, wife, or father, mother of your current or future children? Let's just answer the first question. What are some of the characteristics and actions that you need or seek in a husband or wife? What are some of the things you look for in a husband, Ms. Calloway? I'm going to let that question go. Okay. Well, some of the things that I seek in a wife are just basically understanding. I've seen a lot of things. I've been through a lot of things. I think that they have to have an understanding of my, my point of view and the things I'm trying to accomplish and the things I went through. And I think with that understanding, there has to be a strong communication. We have to be able to talk about the things that affect us. There should be no holding back. Another honesty. Because I'm going to be as honest with you as I possibly can. And through this honesty, there's going to be some things you don't understand. So communication and honesty are the foundation of what I seek for in a wife. Sounds good. We're going to move on to the next question. Unless you have something else you want to share. Okay. All right. Um, this question is about music and censorship. With some of the negative effects of rap music on the black community, should music, BET, be drastically censored? Hello? I don't believe in censorship in music. I don't believe in censorship at all. I believe it's the responsibility of the parents to dictate the morals and values in that particular family system. And they're the ones who, um, with proper supervision and structure, it's whatever. I believe that by us limiting artists from being artists and making their income however they feel fit, we're taking food out of somebody else's mouth. It's not their responsibility to rear our children. It is our responsibility. And I guess maybe I, I feel strongly about it because I'm an artist. Oh, I was an artist for a number of years. And being in Florida, of course, most of my music was about sex or, you know what I'm saying, other extracurricular activities. Um, my kids grew up in the same house as when I was a musician. Okay, but my kids and were not negatively affected by that. Why? Because in my house we have supervision, structure, and communication on what is right and what is wrong and what is acceptable, depending on your age range and depending on what we need to be doing in the house. And plus we're a religious family. We attend church services. So that's the foundation of our core beliefs as well as what we do in the home. Ms. Callaway? I agree with you 100%, so I really don't have a, a different perspective on that. I definitely think that, you know, a child's first learning experience is um, home, and I think that once that foundation has been formed, regardless of what comes in life, you know, they'll have some sort of um, mindset on how to handle that, and I think that's important. We're just, again, like you said, you know, we're not being there for our children like we need to do. We're not teaching them the things they need to be taught, and I think it's so important, honestly, to expose them to a lot of negative situations at an early age and let them um, somewhat deal with it as we guide them because there are going to be days we're not there, and I would never want any child to be, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, and for the first time they're seeing a quote-unquote um, derogatory video. I mean, I'd rather my child see it with me or see it and be able to come and talk to me about it. So I definitely think a firm foundation is so, so, so important. And um, just continue to educate the children. But we're going to move to the next question. Um, this question says, do men realize when they are not well endowed Blue, do they? I know what size I am, <laughs> so I'm comfortable. I mean, I would hope they would know whether or not they're. That's a funny question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you mean like if they're looking at themselves and they're about six inches and they're thinking, "Yo, I'm a twelve inch," well, maybe 
what is well endowed? What is the operational definition for that, Ms. Calloway? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that um, size is 100% important, so I, I, I didn't write the question, so I'm not sure what this person is um, aiming at, but I know they have um, in the past talking to some girlfriends. There are some brothers that really think they are right. When I think of well endowed personally, I think of size. Um, you know, that brother has some, some circumference and, and some length. And, you know, women talk. Sometimes we talk about men that, you know, we all know. And some brothers strike they're well endowed. And, you know, that a sister challenge, she like, you know, his technique's all right, but that brother not, he's so not well endowed. So I think, honestly, just from conversation with other women, as well as personal experience, I don't think that all men know. Someone, some men really, really think, you know, they walk around with a monster and they not. They think they're walking around with a snake and they got a worm, you know. <laughs> Sorry, brothers, but it's the truth. You want to say something else on that, Blue? Off the air. <laughs> we got too much off the air stuff going on today. When a woman dresses sexy, is it okay for men to make comments about her body? Or should she tone it down when she knows it will incite men's attention? This is the question that we brought to the board yesterday. Ms. Calloway, do you recall any of the comments in regards to that issue? I do. Um, I know my personal comment was I think sexy is, is great. I think sexy is awesome. But I also think there's a fine line between sexy and sleazy. And um, a lot of women, in my opinion, I don't see sexy, I see sleazy. I mean, everything's hanging out. There's nothing to the imagination for the man. And because most men are physical, you know, they're visual per se, I, I don't it's, – it's a complicated question because everybody's sexy is different. Some people's sexy is sleazy. For me, I think if nothing is showing, if you've got some legs showing a little bit of legs, some, some arms, I think that's cool. I don't think it's okay personally for a respectable woman to have all her butt out, her cleavage, you know, your skirt so short that you can't bend down and pick up a pencil, but that's my personal opinion. So what do you think, Blue? Um, I agree with you. I believe that, you know, I feel like – a woman, a man, whoever can dress <laughs> anywhere they want to. I made a joke about, you know what I'm saying, cross-dressing in regards to, I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for me. So if you're doing it for yourself, if you're truly doing it for yourself, it shouldn't matter what others say, you know what I'm saying. That's a, even in therapy, you know, I work with a lot of kids that they have a lot of negative reactions to people talking about them. Well, you know, if you know yourself, if you love yourself, it doesn't really matter what others say. If you know yourself and you love yourself. I believe dressing sexy is fine. If that makes you feel good, if that's the way you want to do what you do, um, who cares if you incite other men's attention? But we also heard some comments in regards to women get offended when they wear something sexy out and they don't get any attention. Oh, they was hating on my outfit last night. Oh, they ain't had nothing to say, blase, blase. So I don't know. It depends on the motivation for wearing sexy gear. Exactly. I think if you're doing it for yourself, then it doesn't matter whether or not you get a compliment. But if you're doing it, for attention, you know, that's a whole nother, I think that's kind of outside of that particular question. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, I think every woman has to define her sexy, and I'm going to leave that at that. But I have one more question. What do guys really think about women who give it up too easy? Blue, I'm going to let you answer that. Well, what's easy? They didn't say. <laughs> All right, let me let me um add to whoever's question that is. I'm gonna say within the first week, no date, no no time, maybe a couple of texts here and there. And I'm adding that part. 
What do you think about that? I don't believe in, I don't even know the definition of too easy. I feel like if you have a connection with somebody, sometimes you know that connection immediately. As soon as I looked in your eyes, I knew it was going. It was on a popping. Remember that? <laughs> you got those, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes you Why just you know. <laughs> so sometimes you just know how it's going down. You just know that, you know, it's, it's all good. So I don't think, I feel like if you hold yourself back, I mean, I wrote a song years ago. If you hold yourself back just based on social norms and stuff, then that's your bad. I feel like you can do whatever you want to do, but all I request is that you be safe doing it. I agree with that. But I, I'm thinking that the person that wrote this question was trying to dig deeper but just maybe didn't know how to formulate the question because um, I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with that saying, you know, a man's always a man. When he sleeps around, however, when a woman does it, she's a whole. So I'm assuming that this person is, is trying to get that question towards that. I'm not, I don't even know. I wish I could recognize the handwriting, but I don't. Personally, I think it depends on what you're looking for. I think if you're out there to have a good time, do you. But I think if you're a woman who's looking for some stability and a man to respect you, I think it's giving it up within the first, you know, few encounters. How about the first encounter? Good luck. I mean, that's all I'm saying. I don't know anybody that's giving it up on the first encounter in that dude's face. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I don't even know any male associates of mine that's saying I hit that last night and that's still his woman today or even a week or two later. So. Well, that could be said for somebody that you courted for six months to a year. It could be, but I'm just saying, personally, me, I would rather deal with a dude for a little bit, get some sort of, um, I guess, understanding of him and who he is. And if that does go down, six months later, two months later, whatever it is, and he walk away, I'm still good with me. So I think that's like the important part of it. If she's good with her after meeting her for five hours, then that's fine. But I think when you're a woman, you do have to look at, you know, how does that man view you depending on what you're seeking from that individual. Okay. What's respect? Next question. All right, somebody put in the basket, do you prefer natural or relaxed hair and why? All righty. <laughs> I personally prefer natural hair. I really? like uh, I like to get my finger caught in a nap or two, you know what I'm saying? I'm with that. You, know you like I mean? to get them cut up? You like to be a little cut up? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But no, I, just don't, I feel like when you, when you move, to the, it all depends on your motivation to move into natural hair. When you transition to being a natural hair woman, I believe that's a good thing because you, you're removing yourself from norms that was placed on us or embedded on us or forced on us, this um, European cosmopolitan red world norm, I figured, red book norm. I feel like when you get to the point where this is the natural me, not only are you saving Buku's amount of money, you, you're really saving yourself. Uh, I've done some research in chemicals that we put in our hair can embed in our skin and into our brain and make it soggy. Well, not really make it soggy. That's another point. But the point is... Mm. Being comfortable with yourself is, is all comforting for me. And I think that by adhering to norms that's not really a part of who we are, then you're not truly comfortable with yourself, your true self. I'm going to disagree with the last part of your statement because I think everybody's comfort level is different. Um, when you talk about your true self, I mean, I'm assuming you're talking from the aspect of the nappy hair, so on and so forth. But personally, um, I grew up, I had processed hair, and I was cool with that. 
And honestly, if I never decided to cut all my hair off, I probably still would be processed. I was, I was good with that. Me deciding to go natural was just something I guess I just decided to do, but it had nothing to do with me being a real me or being comfortable with my, nat- my um, natural self or, you know, anything of that nature. It's just something else I wanted to do. It's not so much a phase, but I never thought of it in an aspect of this is who I truly am, so I'm going to be natural. It wasn't that. So I don't know if I agree with you 100% on that. Maybe like 90 I can't even read the writing on that, so I'm going to have to pass that question. Um, Next question. Why does sexual abuse within black families generally get swept under the rug? What you just said? I need you to focus. Why does sexual abuse within black families generally get swept under the rug? Well, as a former sexual counselor, (laughs) sex abuse? I swept under the rug in many families. I don't know a family that didn't sweep it under the rug. We're just going to put it on front street. Yeah, I asked my daughter. Oh, yeah, my husband did this to my son. Okay, really? No, I don't think that's a black thing. I think that's a societal thing because that is a taboo subject that many people don't just We might hear about it more in um, Caucasian families, but let's think about it. They make up over, what, 70% of the population? We make up, what, 12.8% of the population? Of course you're going to hear about it more in the population that's approximately seven, six times larger than ours, right? You want me to agree with that? I don't want you to do anything. I want you to do what you want. Do you. Do what you do. No, I agree with that 100%. But I do think that um, a lot of times, especially, um, and this is speaking off of a, a conversation I had with somebody within the last, like, six months, um, I think currently, you know, there's enough knowledge base out there for everybody to understand that, you know, incest and things of that nature, it's not all right. I do think that back in the days, you know, if you had Uncle Bubba or whoever, they'd be like, you know, he'd be with the family and so on and so forth. They'd be like, don't send your child to Uncle Christopher's house or Uncle Bubba's house. They never would say why. Uncle Christopher? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you. And that's what's important. But uh, seriously. <laughs> It was. It really was a taboo thing. Like you would never know why as children. Nobody could go to Uncle Christopher's house, but everybody else in the family knew. Like the elders in the family would know because he wasn't right. You know, he was sexually abusing the nieces, the nephews, and whoever else. So I can kind of understand the the point of that question. I think it does definitely happen in every other race as well. But even currently, as much knowledge is out there, there are so many black families that are still not. They're still sweeping under the rug. I mean, a lot more, I think, than the Caucasian family. And that's just my personal opinion as well as experience. And then we're going to move on. Um, next question. Why do men and women who have nothing, who are not ready, pursue relationships? Basically, why are you a nickel for a dime? That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. I don't know. Why is that? I think people, we're emotional beings. I don't think that people look at things from the aspect of, am I ready for a relationship? I think people look at look at it as I want, and that's, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. I don't think anybody looks further than that. Right. Um, I'm going to agree with you on that. This based, yeah, I can see that. This based on, it's not about what I bring to the table. It's what I want at that table. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's something we're going to explore. Um, let's explore that in about two weeks. We're going to look at that from a, We're going to do some research. We're going to look at that from all angles. 
Why are you a nickel looking for a dime? That's right. You a nickel, don't be looking for me. Because I'm a dime. And if you a nickel, you better bring another nickel with you. <laughs> all right, I'm going to read one more question, Blue, then I'm going to give it to you. Is honesty always the best policy? Mm. I would, no, normally, I mean, from a, this is zooming all the way out, I would say honesty is always the best policy. But from experience, I know that honesty really hurt me. Um, I guess it really depends on the situation and the impact it can have on somebody. Some things that, some things that could be revealed, it changed the whole, can affect not only the person you told, but a whole family system, a whole societal system, a whole community. In some cases, a network, a whole nation. I mean, when we found out about, um, what, what, is it, what was that president's name? Uh, the the one who was at like Clinton. Well, that, that kind of affected, you know, understanding the way we view sexuality and it impacted his legacy. I mean, he was a great president, but that negatively impacted his legacy. And now we used to hear it all the time, 10 years later. Ooh, I'm trying to get some Lewinsky. I mean, so, I mean, honesty, I don't know. That's the difference in the situation. I prefer to be honest with everybody. You can either take it or leave it, and if it hurts your feelings, Cool. I'm from the North. That's just what we do. Whatever. I'm not about hurting anybody's feelings, and I think presentation is everything, but I also think that, you know, honesty is imperative, regardless of the situation. I don't care if it's presidential. I don't care if it's within a marriage, um, your best friend, your children. I think honesty is just, it has to be there, but I think our delivery is important as well. And um, honestly, I would rather somebody be honest with me and I hurt and be able to adjust or get over it work through it versus you lying to me or withholding information. So I definitely think that honestly, honesty is always the best policy regardless of the outcome. Well, I prefer that anybody I deal with be ultimately honest. And that's all I ask because I'm going to give you the same. I agree with that. You know, Be honest with me and give me some options. Let me decide what I want to do from there. Right. Um, next question. With child molestation abuse on the rise, and I don't necessarily know if it's on the rise, but that's how this question is written. When is it okay to bring your new man around your children? Ms. Callaway, I don't have a man, so what you got? <laughs> like, I'm single, too. <laughs> I don't think it's a, um, a time that you can or can't bring them around. I think it's just important to, um, for you to first get a comfort level with that guy. And, um, you know, if he is somebody that you would like for your children to meet, for him to meet your children because you guys are looking to spend more time together, I don't think there's a time limit. I just think once you guys get comfortable, you know, talk to your children about it beforehand before you bring them around. Talk to him, you know, about the children, so on and so forth. And make it happen because I don't think we should introduce men as um, single, you know, parents as our man. I, I can't bring a man home saying this is my man, y'all. You know, he's going to be my friend or my associate first, and I think that's, that's the missing link with that particular question. And I think that's that. Um, I got a Skype that um, is requesting us to ask the following question. Why do so many women get weaves when men prefer natural or real hair? Well, because that person had the liberty to um, ask that question, we'll activate her line. <laughs> Caller. Caller number 82. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I was fine till about a minute ago. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you holler up on Skype. I did not know you could activate a line. Thank you for the information. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. 
So what, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that men actually prefer natural hair and that, that wild women constantly getting weaves or perms? What, what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, I've asked this question of men individually, like do they prefer weave or do they, do, you know, and unanimously mm-hmm. I've never met a man who said he likes weave, that, he, that you know, men like to play in it. They say they want to play in their woman's hair, they want to touch it and all that. And mm-hmm. so my question is, if if you know, or, I mean, I guess men are not saying, I don't know, maybe they're not saying it to the to their women, but if they prefer natural hair, then why why are black women buying into the whole, you know, hair down your back weave thing? Is, is it is it societal? Is it self esteem? Is it trying to be white? I don't know. My question is, why are women getting weave when most men, at least the ones I have talked to, they would prefer a woman with shorter natural or just her, even if it's processed, but still her her own hair than to have a weave that he can't even touch. Hmm. I'm looking at a woman with weave. Let's have her um, ask ask her the question. I got braids. This is not weave. It's a form of weave. Look, you're going to put me on the spot like that. I don't um, consider, like, micro braids weave in that sense personally. Um, or like. I'm going to be quiet. But, um, or like kinky puss. I don't consider that weave. I mean, it is, but it's not. I think that's more of a natural look. Um, I got Michael's because my afro is too short right now. It's summer. It's hot. It's humid. And that's that. I've never worn, like, the extra long weave or the curly stuff. Um, I've always been a braid chick. It just, I don't have to do my hair. I like it. So as far as, like, the long weave, the European look down your back, I can't answer that. I personally never had a conversation with a woman with um, processed hair in regards to what do I prefer in hair. I naturally, um, you know what I'm saying, find myself attracted to women with natural hair. I don't necessarily like the long weaves or anything like that. Now, I do like natural long hair as well, but I like natural. And I guess that just goes back to my statement before, being comfortable in your own skin, knowing your own self, and being natural in that sense. And when you find comfortability with yourself, then you can be comfortable with me. Um, so maybe it's just the fact that there's not enough communication between the two sexes in regards to this issue, which is why that was a perfect question to bring up in battle the sexes. Women think men want one thing, where your research and um, question in the interview process, Ms. Phillips, is stating that they want something totally different. Well, I, I wonder... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Ms. Tracy. I was going to say that I wonder, though, I mean, if you look at TV like Real Housewives of Atlanta and all of these other shows, um, a lot of the women have these, these black women have these long weaves and they spend so much money on it. And I have friends who mm-hmm. do that. I have friends who just for no reason they will spend a few hundred dollars every couple months to get their weave done. And I wonder if they're doing it for society and perception more so than their man. Because, you know. I think as more society and perception does equal their man in some aspect. Like, I mean, Locally here in South Carolina, if you ask 50 men, you might, you know, get 40 that say they prefer it natural or whatnot. I'm not sure. But I think if you go to Hollywood, California, and ask those same questions, you might get a different, you know, response. So I think it just depends. And I think a lot, too, you know, when we look at TV, even with, like, um, Holly Berry and stuff, when she first started coming on TV, she was light-skinned, you know, the long, the long, the long, um, Weave so on and so forth. So I think that's it's kind of like a societal norm. It's like an expectation, just like process hair. You know, I think a lot of women now are becoming more comfortable or 
somewhat more in tune with the natural look. But, I mean, honestly, I just think it's a society thing. I really do. Well, even looking at that perspective, I decided, I, another thought came to mind. I mean, we're looking at television. So maybe it's the media that's influencing. We're looking at television. How many times do we see a TV show with somebody with natural hair walking around in a, in a positive role? Or even in these live shows in which they have the man with the money or the man with all the accolades or the power. It's usually, Definitely. you know what I'm saying, a lighter-skinned woman or a woman with long hair, weave, or whatever you want to call it. So maybe that's what's making them adhere to that norm is based on they're looking at, oh, that's what you have to look like to get this. Well, I think that's a part of it as well. But even with society as far as, like, um, dreadlocks and things of that nature, for a long time you had dreads, especially here in South Carolina, you couldn't get a, a good job. I don't care what the resume said. It just wasn't acceptable as far as society is concerned. So I think it's a lot of the same thing with women. Um, again, that's starting to change. But it wasn't that long ago. I mean, if I do have dress, good luck with getting a decent job. And that's you know? a fact. So I used to, um, there's a company, I don't know if it's still there. I'm from New London, Connecticut. So um, it's the Caldors. And I, I, I applied for this just like an early morning stocking job. And I applied for it, and I applied for it, and I applied for it. Luckily, I had another 9 to 5. I just wanted some supplemental income. Okay, then I got to the point where I was like, you know what? These dreads ain't even locked it anyway. Chop, chop. Then, you know, the next time I filled out the application, boom. Lo and behold, she had to say one of the most racist statements. And this is coming from a black woman that I've ever heard from a black woman's lips. One of them. Believe me, I have a couple more. Um, in regards to, oh, yeah, we didn't want to hire you because you had dreads, and that goes against our policy. Now, after I got hired, I'm thumbing through the policy. I don't see no mention of dreads lots or anything in the policy, but I guess that's their interpretation of it. You know, a lot of people think of it as nasty or look at it as a derogatory um, hair statement. But um, when it's all, all in, most people I know with locks keep their hair better than dudes who have, you know, fades or froze or, you know, whatever. So I agree with that statement 100% because I know one dude with locks and that brother washes his hair like every day. I don't wash mine that much, you know. But So I definitely agree with that statement. Um. I think we're going to move on to the next question. Is there a certain amount of time to wait for sex in a relationship? Excuse me, in a new relationship. <clears throat> what are you thinking? Uh, it goes back to a song I wrote a couple of years ago. Time keeps on ticking, ticking <laughs> into the future. No, I'm just playing. But, uh, I feel like, you know, what is time? You know that time really isn't relative at all. It's just basically a, an enslaved system to keep us on track to doing what we're supposed to be doing by the man. Not the plan. That's just a really... I was about that's, to get you. That's a weed theory. I was just playing. No, I, mean, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think if you make that connection, at any given time, the connection can be made to move forward. Um, like I said, you make eye contact, boom, you move on. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes there might be a process to build up. But no, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's no such thing as time when it comes to that, that particular issue at all. I, I think we pretty much covered that earlier when we talked about... Um, yeah how long to wait, so I'm not even going to address that again. Um, what is the formula for a, uh, a successful relationship? E equals MC squared. <laughs> I think it depends on what your definition of a successful relationship is. I mean, that varies from person to person, honestly. And that definition is the formula. There you go. That answers the wrong question. Okay. I think I should get paid for that. For sure, though. I got a question. Go ahead, go ahead. What experiences or events with the opposite gender shape your perspective? One more time. What experiences or events with the opposite gender shape your perspective? 
Well, I'll say, um, as far as women, my mom was a very hardworking woman. She provided for and cared for her husband with little, I mean, for her children with little to no support. Um, my husband, I mean, her husband, her ex-husband, you know, she provided, you know, child support. I mean, it wasn't much of nothing. He didn't, supply, he didn't really get that much more support in regards to care or nurturing other children. She held us down. I think that her modelship basically gave me the um, the standard of which I judge all women. You know, hardworking, dedicated, um, nurturing, um, uh, patient. So I guess her, she modeled what I expect or what I want in a woman. And, of course, are, I mean, you read this in, you know, other research and other models of ideology in which you're married, you, you seek out and marry your mother. You're not necessarily marrying your mother per se, but the woman that you find yourself with, probably has many attributes you associate with your mother. I think for me, as far as um, experiences are concerned, my grandfather was, I guess, my first or my strongest role model. Um, my dad was my second, and they were complete opposites. So I guess my grandfather, for a great portion of things as far as men are concerned, you know, be hardworking, trustworthy, family first. Um, from what I saw, being honest and taking care of business, um, my dad, in the aspect of he made sure the family was taken care of, but he also did what he wanted to do. I would have to say that my perspective, for the most part, has been shaped myself. I mean, if you would have asked me this question when I was 20, 22, I probably would have said primarily from my grandparents. But as a 30-year-old woman who has, um, you know, achieved a few things in life, I've somewhat shaped my own perspective just from a, a, a genre of different males, whether it be a professor that I saw I was educated whether it be, you know, a hardworking lumberman, just just different little things, no one particular person. And um, I guess it was more based on what I wanted, not so much what I saw. Like, I don't think I would marry a man that was 100% or even 90% my grandfather or my father. So I'm a little...
bit different than you with that one below. And our Skype caller, Ms. Tracy Phillips, has stated that that's why parents are very important. They are our first role model. Good or bad. So parents, step up and do what you're supposed to do in regards to your children. All right, we have a caller on line 87. Caller. Hi. I just wanted to comment on that about people shaping your perspective, the opposite sex. Um, for me, I come from a large family, and oddly enough, men in my family, my brothers, uh, that's how I define the kind of man that I will date. I only date men that are similar in characteristics as my brothers. They have to be strong. They have to be hardworking. They have to be nurturing. They have to be very open with their caring and affection. And I won't settle for anything less, and that I got from the men in my family because that's just the way that they are. Very strong men, athletic, the whole nine, but very nurturing and outgoing. Oh, thank you, Ms. Porter, for that perspective. All righty. Next question. I think it's a good question to end on. Um, why do people stay in unhealthy relationships? I mean, if you're not feeling the <clears throat> same love that you're, quote, unquote, you know, placing in the relationship, whether it's financial, mental, emotional, whatever it may be for you, why stay? Why do people stay in unhealthy relationships? I mean, physical abuse, verbal abuse, um, you know, some, especially women, we're so guilty of pouring ourselves into men that clearly want nothing to do with us um, on a certain level. Whether, again, it's emotional, physical, or what have you. So, I mean, why do women do that? Why do people in general, period, but definitely women, why do we do that? Comfort. Okay. I mean, I can see comfort being one of them. I can also see that You're going you to take the put on my eye after you black it? That's the comfort? I mean, I'm sure that people have their various reasons. It may be the stability of, you know, their financial needs being met. I really can't call. But, but what, to touch on but that what about when it's not about finance? When you're not getting financial? When you're not, I mean, when you're not Stupidity? getting anything? Stupidity? Oh, okay. That, that might be it. Uh. Mental illness? <laughs> That's probably the number one reason. But um, Crack? Number two, number two. I'm going to put all those in number two. No, but it's so important that, you know, for anybody who's listening, you know, if you are in an unhealthy relationship that's abusive on an emotional or physical level. All right, well, that's another episode of A Collective Perspective. Um, That's F. Christopher Blue and my co-host Aisha Calloway. And thank you for listening. And thank those who came to the discussion forum last night. Very interesting, and I had a lot of fun. I'm going to close the show out with one of my favorite thinkers, Corinne Bailey Gray. We're closer.
This policy is valid from January 4th, 2019. This podcast is a personal podcast written and edited by F. Christopher Blue and his conglomerates at morethantherapy.org. For questions about this podcast, please contact staff at morethantherapy.org. The podcast accepts form of cash advertising, sponsorship, paid insertions, or other forms of compensation. The compensation received may influence the advertising content, topics, or posts made in this podcast. That content, advertising space, or posts may not always be identified as paid or sponsored content. The owners of this podcast is compensated to provide opinion on products, services, websites, and various other topics. Even though the owners of this podcast receives compensation for our posts or advertisements, we always give our honest opinions, findings, beliefs, or experiences on those topics or products. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are purely the podcast's own. Any product claim, statistic, quote, or other representation about a product or service should be verified with the manufacturer, provider, or party in question. This podcast does not contain any content which might present a conflict of interest.